0: Welcome to Arbor Bridge Church's weekly podcast with your teacher, Daryl Canty. Arbor Bridge Church exists to bridge the gospel and our community by connecting people to Jesus and each other. Visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com. Uh, <clears throat> I want to take a few minutes just to, to pray before we go forward in our service. Um and a uh, couple of just notes or things that I want to bring up to you to pray about. Um, my friends, uh, Matt and Rachel, had a new baby boy. Yes, yeah, exciting. Uh, um, so we'll pray for, pray for them with their transition. Now they're outnumbered. Um, and we'd love just to, just to pray and thank the Lord for, for her, uh, Rachel doing fine and the baby doing fine. I'm super grateful for that. And then I, just, I wanted to ask you guys to pray. Um, my wife, uh, my mother in law, my wife lost her grandmother. My, my uh, mother in law lost her mother last week. And so I'd love for you to just pray. We pray together about that. Um, let's pray and uh, we'll continue in our service. Um, dear Father, uh, I just want to start by praying for uh, my family, my extended family, uh, the, for the peace that passes understanding. Um, in this situation, it's bittersweet. Um, we know that you are gracious and with all of us who follow you. And, and certainly, um, Montine's grandmother, Candy's mother, was a person who, who followed you, who believed in you. And uh, I, I, just, I, thank you for, I thank you for that. And I thank you that she's with you now. Um, and I pray that we would be able to find peace in that. Um, and I just pray for our church family to be able to be comfort for, uh, for those, uh, those of us who are, are hurting most because of that. And then I just want to celebrate and thank you for the health. Uh, Matt and Rachel's new son, um, thank you that they are part of this church family. I pray for all of us um, to to just celebrate with them now and take the responsibility um, that uh, comes along with a new a new life being brought into this family. Of what's what's our role in helping helping that uh, that little baby know Jesus? Uh, we love you in Jesus' name, Amen. Um so at this time we're going to we're going to take communion or the Lord's supper. Um this is a part of our service where we pause and we remember uh the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so um there are communion elements out in the lobby if you haven't got those yet if you'd like to uh, if you're a Jesus follower you'd like to participate and then uh those of you guys who are watching online I'd love for you to participate also. Uh this is kind of a way to make us one or bond us to bring us together even if we can't be in the same location. Christians and Jesus followers all over the world are doing this. So I'd love for you to do that with us in just a few moments. So um, we, we've talked in our church family a lot about how uh, American Christianity is very individualistic. Um, we, we follow Jesus in an individualistic way often. Um, it's super easy for us to forget uh, or not pay that much attention to the fact that we, uh, we are all members of the same body. Um, so when the early church uh, practiced the Lord's Supper, um, many of you guys know that it was a meal or it, it was, um, it was a, a, pour, a part of a meal was dedicated. They would they'd eat together and then one part of the meal they would dedicate specifically towards taking the Lord's Supper together, communion together. Um, they have like this pause and they eat the bread that represents the body of Christ and they drink the wine that represented um, his blood. So they participated in this meal often. Certainly they did it more than once a week. Uh, the, the, the Bible talk, talks about at one point they were doing it like every time they got together. Uh, so, you know, it, it seems that they were doing it probably several times a week. Um, in the early church, a problem arose where uh, some of the, the people who are more wealthy, uh, when they they arrived at church for this meal, they would go first and then they would they would eat everything. Um, and so the, the the people who are less wealthy, um, the, the people who are probably in their normal lives, servants, uh, they didn't get to eat. They would come hungry and they'd leave hungry. Um, and again, that's probably, it's hard for me to, when I read it, I'm saying, how could that happen? But just imagine the fact that these two people, these two groups of people would often never be together. There would be no social context where they would be able to be equals in the church was this new thing that made them there was a context where they were equals and they were supposed to be willing and able to share with one another in a way that they had never done before. And so when the rich people showed up, they did what they normally did. They, they, they took out and they ate and they, and they didn't pay attention to anyone else. So an early church leader, an apostle named Paul, he writes this letter to these guys to correct this problem. And he says, "Hey, you guys, the Lord's Supper is for the entire church body. Um, when you participate it in this way, the, the kind of way that you're doing it, you're sinning against the body in the blood of Christ." Uh, I, I, when I read that, you know, I'm like, "Oh, that's not a big deal." But if someone told you, or was, you know, someone with authority was telling you, "Hey, what you're doing is sinning against the body and the blood of Christ," that feels very. You're like, "Wow, <laughs> I get, I better not do that anymore." He, he, he he's speaking very, uh, strongly to them. He follows up by saying, he follows up, he follows up that correction by saying this, he's saying, you guys, you're all a part of the same body. Um, you, you, you're different. And Christ has created you individually with unique talents and special gifts and important perspectives and things that, that we would be at a loss for if you didn't come and you weren't a part of this. So you've got, you've got all these different things that you're, you're bringing to the table. Um, and to that group of people, Paul might have said, there's some of you who are rich or who are good at making money. And so, yeah, that's, that's really wonderful. That's really great. That, I'm, I'm grateful for that talent, that skill set that you have. Paul goes on and he says, even though you each have those, those talents or those gifts or those good things, those things are meant for the body, for the body of Christ. This is the message version. He says this in 1 Corinthians. Um, It's just a letter that Paul wrote. He says this. The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in that hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance. He's saying, uh, if you're participating in the Lord's Supper together, there's absolutely if, if you fully embody what I'm talking about here, there's absolutely no way that someone in the body can leave that setting hungry, and you leave that setting full. Because if they walk away hungry and hurting, and uh, that th- that is painful to you, and, and clearly this doesn't just apply to food. Uh, it, it applies when when people are lonely or people are in trouble or people are you know in a financial bind or people are caught up in an addiction it 's it's, it's for everything so paul he finishes talking about this and then he adds to the conversation by saying, The greatest strength or the greatest thing that all of us bring to the table and the thing that wraps it all up uh, is love and this is this is the, you know m- many of you have heard. Paul's love chapter, where he describes what love is like. He's saying, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not self-seeking. Communion, the Lord's Supper, is a call back, um, back, back from our tendency to be individualistic. Um, it's a call back from our tendency to be self-seeking. Um, it's a reminder that we're all a part of the body, the body of Christ, because of the blood of Christ. Um, it is. It is an invitation back to that. Is a reminder, and I, we all we all need this. We're like, oh yeah, I got to slow down. I got to remember. This is this is this is bigger than me. The time that we spend taking communion together today. Uh, let the Holy Spirit convict you. Of any, any kind of ways that maybe you're moving away from the body and encourage you that you are not alone, that we are we are in this together. Let's pray together. Dear Father, the blood of Christ makes us one. The blood of Christ makes us one in ways that we cannot comprehend and we have a hard time living out. By the power of the Holy Spirit, by the strength of the blood of Christ, the blood and body of Christ, empower us to live out your vision for what you mean when you talk about your church. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: morning. Daryl asked me to uh, get up here before a sermon and get everybody hyped up for another excellent sermon. I said, what better way to hype people up than reading scripture? So here we go with Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 7. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith.
0: There you go. (laughs) Every good uh, preacher needs a hype man. I mean, that's, I appreciate that. Uh, uh, I've shared with uh, many of you before that, uh, my eighth grade year was the second worst year of my life. Uh, it was my, uh, my first year in public school after uh, many years in private school, uh, and it was a bit of a culture shock. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know most of the kids, and I was made fun of and teased uh, mercilessly, endlessly. Um, yeah, lunchtime was one of the worst, worst times. Um, <clears throat> so a 13-year-old uh, with an awkward body, uh, carrying a tray of food in front of all of his peers, uh, what could go wrong, right? Uh, this just, I, I, it was, it was a very hard time for me. But I think the worst part, lunchtime for me, was uh, deciding where to sit. Uh, so, and maybe this has happened to you before. You walk into a room, um, and when you walk in, you're you're at the front of the room, and you know you've got a tray of food, or you got, and you're, and you're standing there saying. Where am I supposed to sit here? You know, especially, you know, if it's kind of full already and you can't tell if people are saving seats and that feeling. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling or you know what I'm talking about at all, but like, it's awful. Uh, it's certainly awful for a middle schooler. And so, and then the longer that it goes on, the worse that the worse it is. And then the, the weight starts to feel more and more and more. And in that moment, in that moment when you're standing in front of a room of your peers, you know, what do you want? You want somebody to call your name and say, Come sit with me. You want someone to say, Hey, Daryl, we were saving a seat for you over here. Come sit with us. Like, I would have sold my soul for, in those moments for somebody to say that. It was, uh, nobody ever said that to me. No one ever. In those moments, you were waiting. So in the midst of that time frame, I had a friend named Chad um, who invited me to his church. I, I never became a member there. Um, I would just come regularly as a guest. And whenever I would go there, they would act like I was a celebrity. Um, it was in Livonia at that time. It was mostly white people. So maybe it was because I was black. I don't know. But like, I would show up there and they'd be like, oh, no, oh my gosh. <laughs> it was I, unreal. You can imagine for a middle school student who just feels lost as all get out at school, having a group of people who are ecstatic to see you. They saved my life. They saved my life. I I, I don't, and that, that statement sounds strong, but they saved my life, the church. This this body of believers, this body of believers saved my life. Um, so whenever I whenever I tell that story, um, I, I'm often in countries where I'm speaking, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, w- whenever I talk about it, someone will inevitably come up to me after the, the story is over and says, "Daryl, you said that was the second worst year of your life. What was the first? What was the first? So many of you know, uh, in 2008, I was on the edge of being divorced, incredibly painful, incredibly humiliating, incredibly humbling, telling my kids, telling, their, telling our church, it was a death of a dream, um, yeah, just heartbreaking. Um, and so at a time when our church family could have been very cruel to me, and often churches are very cruel to divorced people, and you guys know this, um, the church is who helped me keep it together. Uh, I, was, I was, it was like, it was like I was standing in front of a room of all my peers and they were all watching me and now they're seeing my, my life fall apart. And I desperately wanted to say, somebody say, Daryl, come over here, come sit with us. And our church did that for me. They kept me close. Uh, it was this church family that was you know, committed to my personal family, and it would have been far easier to move on from us and say, I'm out, we, we need to get out of this. Um, and it, it, was, it was just a gathering of people that I felt like I belonged to, uh, the, the church, the body of Christ. And again, saved my life, saved, saved things that have been so important to me, saved. So <clears throat> when the worst years of your life come, Who knows when they're going to be? I want this body of people, Arbor Bridge Church, to be the kind of people that you can count on, the, the community of community people that you can count on, that call your name, that say, hey, come sit with us. Hey, come be with us. Let us walk with you through this time. Those kinds of relationships don't happen by accident, um, and, and they, they happen because we invest in them and in sacrifice, um, and they can't happen, like, in the moment. You know what I mean? Like, when the terrible thing's happening, the relationships typically can't be built when that thing, they have to be being built before. everything in the universe is drawing us away from those kinds of relationships. Everything in the universe is drawing us, drawing us away. And, and, and if we allow things to go naturally, they're going we're going to end up separated from one another. And then when you have the worst year of your life, I don't know, you, maybe you'll be alone. Maybe you'll be alone. But if we set the gospel at the center of our universe, um, when we force ourselves, we force ourselves to revolve around it instead of ourselves, then we'll learn to live for something bigger than ourselves. When we are bigger than our own lives and our own comfort, we, we, live, we learn to live for, for the church and the gospel. So last week we talked about how Jesus was arrested. When Jesus was arrested, uh, every one of his disciples ran away. Every one of them. Um, It was, you know, it's scary. And when you're scared, you tend to, you know, draw on and think about yourself. So their universe was kind of built around themselves. Jesus predicted that it would happen. Uh, He he, after he introduced them to the to the communion, to the new Passover, um, the new covenant in his blood. uh, He said this to his followers. He said this very night, you will all fall away on account of me. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So Jesus is quoting, he's actually quoting a prophet from the Old Testament named Zechariah. You know, so he's basically saying years ago, hundreds of years ago, this moment was predicted. This moment was predicted. And of course, all his disciples are emphatic. No, oh, no, no, not us. We will never abandon you, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, no, you will abandon me. But after I have risen... I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Which uh, clearly they didn't understand what he was talking about. If you know the story, they, they're, I don't know what they thought about what he said in that moment, but they did abandon him and they didn't understand what Jesus, you know, Jesus had to rise from the dead. And when Jesus, is, um, Jesus died, his disciples were hiding from the Jews and the religious leaders um, in, in a house and they'd had the door shut and they're terrified. But on Resurrection Sunday, some women are on the way to the tomb to wrap Jesus' body with some spices. Um, so, so if you know that story, uh, you know that a couple men, uh, Joseph and uh, another Pharisee, they basically wrap Jesus' body. Before, they take it down from the cross and they put him in the tomb. And so a couple of men had done that, but the women, they probably knew if a couple of guys did it it probably needs to be done again. So they're going again to to wrap the body. That's what they're on the way to do. When they arrive at the tomb, this angel, an angel spoke to them saying this. Do not be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see. So the women go and tell Jesus' disciples what they've seen and what they've heard, and they all go to Galilee and they climb this mountain where they're going to supposed to see Jesus. And you can imagine that some of these guys who are not into hiking or rock climbing, I'm just, all these people, if you want to see Jesus, you have to go up to this, this mountain. And there has to be, has to be some doubt in their minds because these women come and they say, Hey, Jesus told us to go to Galilee. Let's go there. And like, are you sure? Jesus risen from the dead. And so while you're hiking up this mountain, you can, be a, you, you can be full of doubts. But when they come around that last corner, when they, when they clear that last hill, and Jesus Christ is standing there. That's a good moment. One of the authors of one of the Gospels, Matthew, tells us that even though, even though Jesus was standing right there, Some of them still doubted. I think that's really interesting. What is there to doubt? What else do I have to say? What else needs to be done for you to... Jesus is standing right there in the Bible. The the, the gospel says some of them still doubted. And when I think of that, I think that's terrifying. It shows our weakness, um, that Jesus could be standing right in front of you and you still wouldn't be enough. Still wouldn't be enough. But for most of them, after they see them, Jesus says, okay, build your life around this message. Go and tell everybody what you've seen, and, and when you do that, if, they, if they're willing to put their trust in me, then baptize everyone that puts their trust in me in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And after that, Jesus is taken up right in front of their eyes, right in front of their eyes, again, Jesus. Breathtaking. I, I, I don't know how to process what that would have been like. Not long after that, these guys burst onto the streets of Jerusalem, telling everybody what, about what they've seen. And I want you to think for a moment just about the, the practicalness of, of, of what was happening there. These guys go in to Jerusalem, telling everybody about what they've just seen. Jerusalem is the place where Jesus was executed. So think of, it, think of it like this. Think of it like this. Think of if, if you and I went on a trip to, to Mackinac Island. And we go there and to get to Mackinac Island, maybe you don't know, you have to ride a boat to get there. We get there. And when we get there, like, I'm arrested and publicly beaten and then publicly executed right in front of you if you escape with your life, when you get back here, you're going to say, I'm never going to Mackinac Island again. Right? Ever. These guys, these guys witnessed Jesus publicly beaten, publicly crucified, and now they're going back to the exact, same place where they just witnessed that, talking about Jesus. They burst on the streets of Jerusalem with the same message, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the same message that gets Jesus Christ killed. Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and all of a sudden, all their cowardice, all their running away has turned into courage. There's this explosion of Christianity. So, Jesus is risen from the dead, and, and not just not not just that, not just that. Jesus is risen from the dead, but these guys will not shut up about it. They won't shut up about it. The disciples' courage was like a witness to everyone, everyone they met. So let me have you. Um, let me ask you um, this: Have you ever heard of a guy named Theodos? If you're like me, um, you have not. Around the first century, Theodos uh, showed up in Jerusalem claiming to be somebody, claiming to be a Messiah. He gathered people to him, you know, hundreds of people. And then he died. They, get, they killed him. And then after he died, do you know what happened to his followers? They dispersed. Theta shows up saying, I'm I'm the Messiah. And people are like, yeah, he's probably the Messiah. So they gather to him. He's killed. And when he's killed, his followers disperse. It's over. It's over. The religious leaders and the high priest thought, if we get rid of this guy, Jesus, then his followers will disperse. Because that is what happened when people showed up saying, I'm the Messiah, we kill him. Then when we do that, the followers disperse. They expected that to happen with Jesus. With Jesus. Of course, not this time. Not this time. So one day, Peter uh, heals the guy who can't walk and after that Peter and John are in Jerusalem publicly talking about Jesus risen from the dead and the priests and the temple guards they they hear them saying this and they are disturbed by what they're saying and they have them they have them arrested they have the two of them arrested um and and you know, when when that happens you you again make this real make this real in your mind Peter and John are in the, in Jerusalem talking about Jesus risen from the dead and they get surrounded by these guys these these religious leaders and these these temple priests, these temple guards, they have to be some of the same people who were there arresting Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And when, when they're standing there, you know, you know Peter and John are like, hey, what's up? We were there. We were there last time. go." And in your mind, you know, when you're getting arrested, if you're Peter and John, you have to be like, you know, hey tell my wife goodbye, tell my kids I love them, because this is it, this is it, this is it. I, I, I think that it's, it's not that it's not that over the top to think that that's what they're thinking. So Peter and John are kept in jail overnight. Um, and the next morning, they're standing in front of the high priests and their elders and the rulers. Um, and again, some of the same people that Jesus was brought in front of. And this is, it's an intimidation move. They're trying to intimidate them into, um, into being quiet to be, you know, it's so what, what they expect to happen is for them for them to beg for their lives and to be like, "Hey, I'm super sorry, please don't don't crucify us," something like that. So the religious leaders are basically saying, "Peter and John, you want to so show tough now? Look at who we got here. We're the same people who killed Jesus. What's you gonna do about it? What's you gonna say now?" This is what Peter says: it's "The best rulers and elders of the people." If we are call, being called uh, to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Do you really got to add that in? Whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And the religious leaders, they're astonished by Peter and John's bravery. They're like, aren't these the guys who just ran away? When, when we went to arrest Jesus, aren't these the same guys that just ran away? And, and, and they warned them. They warned them. They say, listen, you guys, you guys need to shut up about Jesus, talking about Jesus. But Peter replied, Peter and John replied, he says, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we've heard. I hate hate that I can't appreciate how bold that is. How just so bold, so courageous. If you were there, you would be like, these guys are crazy. They're about to be killed you would assume that they've, they've, assi- they've just signed their death war. They just, this is it. You guys are going to die. If you were watching, you would say, miraculously, the religious leaders say, stop doing that. Don't do it again. And then they let them go. And I'm not sure why they did that. I'm not sure why they did that. So you and I would think if that happened, if that happened to us, if, if we were arrested and we were brought in front of all the people who killed Jesus, you and I would say, okay let's go somewhere else and talk about Jesus. <laughs> right? I mean, you're not disobeying Jesus if you go somewhere else and you continue spreading the message. Like, let, let's go somewhere else. Peter and John and then the disciples, they get the rest of the disciples, and they go right back to the very same place, Jerusalem, doing the very same thing. And the religious leaders are filled with anger and jealousy because people are people are coming to know Jesus. And so they have Jesus' closest followers re-arrested. Um, the twelve minus Judas, plus a guy named, named Matthias that they add in Judas' place, and they're put in jail. But this is their second offense. And if you, I mean, you, guys, you know anything about the legal system, you know you did this once and we let you go. But if you do it again, you can expect the consequences to be harsher. So they 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 may be thinking that they're going to die. During the night, an angel comes and opens the door to the jail and releases them. Now, again, this is a moment where you're like, okay, you guys, let's get out of here. We got to go. Let's let's go somewhere else to, to spread the message of Jesus. But the angel says this. The angel says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the temple courts and tell people about this new life. And I want you to put in perspective the danger of this request. He's saying, go to where the high priest works and talk about this new life. Go to to where the high priest lives and works. It's a terrifying request. But they do it. Daybreak. Daybreak. They're there at the Jewish temple telling everybody about Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And when the religious leaders find out what's happening, they, you can imagine, they are furious. They are furious. We gave you a chance. We gave you a chance to be quiet and not... so they have the disciples re, re-arrested and bring them out in front of the entire Sanhedrin. And we've talked before. The Sanhedrin is like a, like a, like a Jewish Supreme Court, except way bigger. There's a ton of—they bring these guys in front of the Sanhedrin. Again, Sanhedrin are the, the exact group of people who have Jesus crucified. And so they're standing in front of that group of people. And again, an intimidation move. You guys, it didn't, it, you didn't be quiet when we just brought you in front of the high priest. So We're going to bring you in front of everybody. The high priest says, We told you not to talk about Jesus anymore. And you won't stop talking about him. And in fact, you, you you try to blame us for killing him. And Peter says this He says, What's wrong with you guys? You did kill him. You did kill him. Peter and the other disciples replied, We must. Obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. Again, we can't appreciate the, the courage it would take to say that out loud to these guys. These guys can have these guys killed. in a, when they're, Obviously, they're furious and they want to kill them. They want to kill them. But an older Pharisee is able to convince them not to, kill the, not to kill the disciples. He basically says this. He says, listen, if this movement is not from God, then it's going to disperse. Remember Theodos? These guys will disperse. It will fail. It will fall flat. But if it is from God, then you and me are going to find ourselves fighting against God himself. Then this. His speech persuaded them, and they called the apostles in and had them flogged, and they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. And we talked a little bit about this before, but um, we shouldn't let this verse pass lightly. You read it quickly. what would happen often is there'd be some kind of stoop and they would, they would make, they put their arms down like this so that their back was open and two dudes would take turns whipping their, whipping their open back, back the back of their leg, back of their, you can imagine I've yeah, and I've shared with you before that it, it was in the first century when people were flogged they would people would die people would die from floggings and the high priests certainly thought this will shut them up this will shut them up and, and you can imagine that in any other circumstance if if we're there that's going to be enough to shut us up we're like okay um I got it. I understand. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they have been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Maybe some of them had to be carried out. You can, I, They would have to carry me out after something like that. Rejoicing. I, I, I think that's really powerful. For the rest of their lives, every time they took off their shirt, people would be like, oh. Typically, what that meant was you were a criminal. You've done something terrible, and you were punished for it. And for the rest of your life, you you bear you had to bear the disgrace of oh. But in their circles, again, you know, if if this was me, I'd be like, yeah, check it out, you guys. I'm gonna take off my shirt, like Jesus. That's why I would take my shirt off for no reason all the time. I got beaten for that first time. I ran away, but that second time, I was bold and courageous, and I let them whip me for the name of Jesus. I'd be—they walk away from there, rejoicing, proud, glad that the the rest of their lives are going to bear this. Most of us say, "Okay, well, I give in. I'll shut up. That's enough. I'll do what you say." But listen to this. After that, very, very next verse. Day after day in the temple courts from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. And that, that is unreal. That is unreal. Many of you guys know in slave times when slaves would escape, or slaves would do something that, that, they, that their masters didn't want them to do. They would beat them in front of the other slaves so that it was a message to everyone. This is what's going to happen. This is what they're trying to do. And it does not work. It does not work. Considering Jesus' command and everything that the, the followers of Jesus went through. Um, let, me, let, me, let me have you think about this. Let me ask you this. And again, this is to me too. Why are we so unwilling to talk with people about Jesus? You know, we almost, we've almost begun wanting to keep it on the down low, keep it quiet, that we, that we know him. Why? So some of you guys know that I went to Dominican Republic with my son. We did went on a medical missions trip. One of the things they want us to do is to pray with everybody, to pray with every person who came, and to ask them if they knew Jesus. So first, the language barrier makes that a little awkward, but we have interpreters with us, so they want us to do that. And when we, all, of us, all of us in our group, we first got there, we felt uncomfortable doing it. I felt like, oh, I mean, I don't know. Should we... I'm, this, Feels awkward. I mean that feels that feels weird. That feels like we're we're kind of pushing Jesus on them. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, as a week went along, the Lord just convicted all of us. We need to to boldly, but not, not obnoxiously, but to boldly say, Jesus Christ risen from the dead. We gotta pray for opportunities to share Christ. And, and, and then, you know, without being obnoxious, of course, be willing to share about this new life. Uh, it, it, we must be willing. We got to do it together. Um, certainly. Any, any, one of the things that helped us when we were in Dominican Republic is because we were all, we were together doing this thing that made us uncomfortable, pushed us. And everybody has a role. Everyone had a role. It was it, it was valuable and it was important. Um, if we're willing to boldly pray and share our faith, and we are we are willing to work together, there's no problem. The Holy Spirit will not conquer through us. Through us. Let me read this to you. In those days, when the number of disciples was decreasing the hellenistic Jews among them complained against the hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So let me just pause super quick and just say this. So what was happening was all these people were coming to follow Jesus and Jewish people who were like greek jewish people who weren't didn't really practice the Jewish religion. Those people were coming to Jesus and then people who were Jewish, who practiced the Jewish religion, they were coming to Jesus. And in this situation, what was happening was when the widows of those different groups of people were being brought food, some of them were being overlooked. The Greek Jews were being overlooked. And so this problem arose where that was happening. So I'll read again. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the people were becoming Jesus followers. The Hellenistic Jews, among them, complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And again, I I think that this wasn't racial. It was just the growth was so big and the system wasn't working yet. I mean, they were just trying to figure it out. So. The twelve gathered disciples, twelve apostles gathered the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So let's just pause right here. When I read this, it feels a little snobby or gross. It feels, I don't think it's intended that way at all. We talked last week about Jesus telling the disciples, washing feet is your job. Serving people is your job. But clearly the the 12 disciples are uniquely given skills to, to, to share the gospel, but they've been with Jesus. And so they're saying, we can't do it all. We need to split up this work. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them. And we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Which is is a great verse because the apostles do what I often cannot or will not do. Um, They're bold with the message of Jesus. I often cannot or will not do that. And then they ask for help. Caring for the needs of the church. I often cannot or will not do that. I want to do those things. I want to do those things. And then I want you to hear this. I want you to hear, I want you to hear what happened when they, were, when they were willing to be bold and they were willing to ask for help. Here's what happened. Verse 7 says this. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Which again, that's don't miss that. The priests are the people who are, the, who are in charge of killing Jesus. And now they're saying, okay, maybe he is the Messiah. That is gigantic. That happened because of boldness and delegation. I want to ask you to put the gospel in the center of your life. And here's why. Here's why. Here's why. Someone someone that you know, you you know their name is enduring the worst year of their life. And they need you. And you're in their vicinity. They need the they need Christ in you. Someone, here's why. Someone that you know that's in your circle, in the next next few years, next few months, is going to come up on the worst year of their life, and they need you. Or, here's this. You are going to coming up on the worst year, one of the worst years of your life. Have you done the work? The relational work to build people around you to help walk you through that. So let me ask you to do this. I'm asking ask you to do a few things so that we can make this place be the kind of place where we do this together. I'm asking to ask you to do a couple things. So pray for opportunities to boldly, not obnoxiously, boldly share the good news we offer in Christ. Notice, I'm not asking you to do. I'm not asking you to say anything. I'm not asking you to share anything. I'm not asking you to do anything yet. Yeah, don't. Yeah, maybe that's terrifying to you. Most of the time, for Christians, this is terrifying to us. I don't. Don't just. I just ask you to do this. Pray for opportunities to boldly share the good news we can offer in Christ. A scary prayer. Pray for that pray for pray for him to make us bolder because it is it is true and again I, I, I'm speaking for me but I, I, I think that you're similar I will allow culture to make me be quiet about Jesus and that is gross that's gross so there's that number two as a church we need your help Um, Bree, our our Bridge Kids director, has been asking for this help for a while. So we need eight people. Um, I think she has about four already to volunteer to be on a rotation for serving in the nursery. Would you help with that? Would you help with that? Clearly, um, that's for some of you, but not all of you. Would you help with that? Would you help us? When you do that, what you're doing is you're saying, I want to play a role in making this church body be the kind of place so that when somebody comes in on their last leg and the worst year of their life, they can drop off their kid, and they can come in here, and they can build a relationship. Would you Would you do that? Would you do that? Number three. I have to adjust number three a little bit. So uh, th- th- for the first time, uh, and this is... A strange thing or a weird thing so um many of you guys know next saturday we were planning on doing uh, what we call our home project um it was basically when we come alongside of a person who uh who needs help caring for their home um and we we show up from like nine to three and we help them do that so the the person uh the person whose home we were going to help with passed away this week uh yes so that is sad um, but um, right now, uh, Michael and Carrie are looking for a new house. So, uh, if you're not on our email list, please get on it. You can do that by going to the bottom of any page of our website and saying, "Hey, um, I'd like to be part of the email list." Um, so, we're 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 trying to find a new house by so that we can still do it on Saturday. That we'll we'll put out the address in the email. That's where you'll you'll find out. Uh, how to do that. Um, if we end up doing it Saturday, um, there'll still be a kids project from 10 to 12. Again, so, so if you've got kids, it's a great way to say, this is what we're about. This is what, we're, this, is what, this is what our family does. If you build a family identity, we're about serving in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, would you help us do that? On Saturday, uh, we'll, we'll, again, look, look, look for the email for that. <clears throat> then four. In May, um, we're going to do a small group on Sundays after a worship service at my friend's house, uh, Rex and Penny Sanders. Um, in that group, we're going to be practicing praying together. Uh, I underestimate the power of prayer all the time. I'd love for you to be there for that. Um, if that time doesn't work for you for some reason, but you'd like to be a part of a group like this, let me know. Again, go to the bottom of any page of our website. Send a message to me say, Hey, Daryl, I'd like to do one of those prayer groups. That time doesn't work for me, though I can't do it. We may run another group on the same material after the May group is over. Next. Be here. Be here. Some of you know that I've been experimenting with how to make our worship, worship space uh, feel more cozy, more smaller since you know to, to fit the group of people that we have here. So thanks for being patient with those experiments. We're going to be experimenting a little more next week. So experts who measure church growth, they say that if you have a room that's lot, you know, too large for your group of people, it can hinder growth. So we want to pay attention to that and you know, we'll do a little bit of that. So next week, what I'd like for us to experiment with, I'd like for you to try with me is just all of us sit in the middle sections um, next week. Uh, not the sides, and then if if you would uh, do this for me, please save the back couple of rows for people who have kids so that uh, you know they they can uh, they can be able to use those rows um, again, nobody likes change nobody likes doing things differently, but I appreciate you you being willing to do that um, everybody else who doesn 't have kids you you sit, you sit closer closer to the front thanks for being willing to try. I appreciate that but here 's The bigger point of that, be here, be here. Uh, Those two worst years of my life, uh, the church was able to help me through that because people were available. Um, Their lives were available to me. Um, So let me ask you this. And again, for you to think about, is your life available to anyone? Is your life available to, to this church family? Do it again, one of the reasons why we, we, we did Sabbath and practiced Sabbath earlier this year is because we are all so, so, so busy. Um, is there something in your life that you need to say, I can't do that anymore because I need to do life slower so I can be available relationally to people who are important to me? Um, at the end of our lives, we are going to be so grateful for those kinds of decisions. Um, this is far less convenient. This is far less convenient way to live but it's more strategic, right? It's far, it's, it's far easier to, 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 to keep our distance from people and say, whoa, whoa, whoa I don't wanna get in that, I don't wanna get involved, I don't want that to be, it's just, you need to be a strategic part of what's happening in the local church, though. You need to be a strategic part of what's happening in the local church. Uh, perhaps um, it's, it's time to inconvenience yourself for something greater than yourself. Uh, I, I promise you won't be flogged, uh, but you will make a difference. You make a big difference in what. So as we end our service together today, I want to I want to ask us to seal this worship service by singing a song together called Make Us One. Um, it's a prayer that, the, you know, it's I'd love for you to sing it as a prayer. Um, it's just that the father would make us one, that he would he would do in us what uh, what we can not do on our own, that he would make us one. it's a, it's a dangerous prayer. It's a dangerous prayer. Because in order for it to happen, we will—you will lose something. You'll lose something. Uh, you, you, well, you when you commit to another person, they, you know you lose some freedom. Um, you you lose some independence. That that is most certainly certainly true. My my prayer is that you will see that when you do that, though you'll be you'll just, you'll gain so much more. You'll, you'll gain so much more than what you give up. So would you pray this song with us as say you guys they lead lead us in this song um, would you would you make it God's prayer to make this church body one thanks you can stay Thank you for listening. If you'd like more information on our church, visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com.